I mean, that's just for us, I think, something. And it's because maybe, like, our dad is 100% Chinese. Our mom is 100% white. So uh, it's not like there was that culture in our family already of, like, ooh, everybody looks fun and different. Like, how are they going to turn out? That's cute. What features will carry down and, like, how and from who? That's kind of fun. I could see that. But for us, it's like we don't look like yeah. any of them. They all look like each other. Yeah. We go to family reunions and they go through the albums like, oh, look, like you look just like great Emma or great Aunt Irma or whatever. And we've never yeah. had that experience. It's kind of sad, but like it's just something we can't relate to. Maybe that's the difference between being multiracial and mm-hmm. biracial because I have cousins that have green eyes, but they're the same coloring as me. Like, it's always been a Mm -hmm. game, almost. Mm -hmm. Like, what's our children, our child going to look like? What genes will they inherit? Will they get more indigenous or will they get more black or, you know, things like that. But I can see that you play the racial roulette. (laughs) We did, though. We did. I can see how that's fun. It's just not something that we can relate to or ever even occurred to me. I always just thought, like, when I like imagine my future children, they're amorphous blobs. That's so interesting. <laughs> There's nothing there. I don't see a gender. I don't see a color. They are just little baby voids that love me. <laughs> you know, I've been doing this for a year and a half. I've been doing this for 10 years and I've never seen <laughs> in all of my vast experience. <laughs> this is something I haven't thought about. Mm. That this mm-hmm. is something lots of people talk about very often when you're mixed is like, did you imagine what your children would look like? Did you want them to look a certain way? That's very interesting. And I would love to hear other people's experiences with that if they wanted to have children. Yeah, I did. a I did like a project in college that involved identity. And I talked to my dad about it. I was like, how are you? How did you think about like when you decide to have kids? And he was like, I knew you'd be cute because mixed babies are oh always my cute. God, that sounds like every Asian parent I've ever heard. <laughs> right. But then I also asked him, I was like, Dad, how do you identify? And he told me he identifies as white. What? Buck wild. What? Since when? Do you, do you not know that? Yeah. No. Dad said he always felt like he was white because. <laughs> <laughs> like, I I don't have these conversations with my parents. <laughs> mm. Dad felt white. He and to be fair, he didn't. He was kind of raised his his childhood actually in Japan. You know, he's born in China, childhood in Japan, going to an American school there, and then immigrated to the USA. He always just related to white kids. He always felt white. And then when he married our mom, he told me he felt like he hit the jackpot because he got a white lady. Oh okay, he won it. <laughs> he was like, yeah, I always just really felt. I felt white. I felt American. Well, it's true because back in that time when you were immigrating over, he came when he was 10. And the uh, culture was like, hide your culture, assimilate, blend in. He speaks Chinese kind of, like pretty badly. He can <laughs> understand it. Like our grandma, like fluent, perfect. But like him and his siblings, it's not that good. Like he he really did lose a lot of that. That's so interesting. Yeah. So... And then they raised us to not speak Mandarin or Cantonese. That was something I was going to ask. So if your dad saw himself as white and your mom obviously sees herself as white, your mom is white, (laughs) how did that translate culturally to you? Did you get a lot of the culture and language? You said you didn't learn how to speak Mandarin. I think something that happens to me is when I hang out with Chinese people and I know something they're talking about, I get really excited. Mm -hmm. 
I get stoked. I'm trying to learn Mandarin now. I'd love to learn Cantonese as well, but I'm not that good at learning languages. It's hard for me to pick up. And I'm I was learning on my own. I was doing it by like listening to language tapes. Mm-hmm. And then when I went to show my grandma what I had learned, my whole family started making fun of me because the tapes had a very strong Beijing accent. Oh, to which, do the R. That was a it, really hard yes. R. Yeah. It's kind of like the equivalent of like transatlantic accent you know it's like mm-hmm. i sound like i was an old-timey radio host to them and they were just like laughing at it and it's all in good fun but it even the the mandarin i'm learning is not my family's mandarin mm-hmm. yeah i sound very like fancy when i'm talking oh my goodness i sound really like professional like i'm talking like the emperor's chinese you know what i mean <laughs> <laughs> so like super formal yeah but they always called us a banana no. Said, you know, you're wow. We've been described so many things by so many different foods and animals. Um, I I'm sitting over here just cringing. Yeah, yeah we're we, we're mutts for so now. Yeah. <laughs> no, yellow on the outside, white on the inside. Uh, our stepdad uh, likes to tell us that we're not Chinese. We're white. He he says that uh, a lot to us. Yes, and it's it's sort of interesting because on our Chinese side, we like grew up there our whole lives but my dad married his Taiwanese wife uh like five years ago and she is like you know recently immigrated well not that recently but like she speaks Chinese fluently the first language she has an accent all that and she always asks us if we like the food she makes she's always surprised we like Chinese food or like we'll want to try something and it's like we are Chinese yeah even just our taste, like not necessarily like culturally as Chinese as she is, but just that we would have the taste like cultural palate. Yeah, like we just had a we just had like the black eggs the other night. Thousand year old egg. Oh, the tea egg. Thousand year old egg. Thousand, yeah, yeah, yeah. Not tea egg, but the thousand year old egg. And she was like, "Oh, you like that?" It's like for sure. We eat everything. Every dish she makes, like you like it. Like yeah, we do. <laughs> we eat everything, baby. <laughs> I mean, I've had that experience, but. Also, it was not my culture. So I can't imagine what it's like when it is your culture. Yeah. But I mean, our dad tries to remind her all the time, like, they're Chinese, Elsie. Like, they are. But she... she they know how to use chopsticks. They, oh, it's okay. They goodness. actually grew up with it. <laughs> like, they know what dim sum is. But uh, yeah, she still she still brings it up. She's still surprised every time. <laughs> oh, now I'm hungry. But <laughs> yeah. I know. Thinking about dim sum is like, bringing up dim sum is a curse. It is. If there is one person who's had dim sum and then, like, doesn't crave it every time it's mentioned, I question their humanity. Yeah, are you okay? (laughs) Something that I think is a really good illustration of, like, how I felt in my identity a lot of my life was uh, I lived in San Francisco for three years and I lived in Chinatown. Okay. And that is a very Cantonese Chinatown and it's great. And I loved living there. But I would walk around and people would think I was a tourist and I would go into a shop and they would speak to me in English and I would respond with Cantonese because I know the names of foods in Mm. Cantonese and then they would get this like knowing look in their eyes and depending on how my pronunciation was that day they would either charge me like they would charge white people which is the the price or they would charge me like a local which is the regular price and so I always knew like how much am I passing today based on what they would charge me that's horrifying (laughs) what a like perfect radar of like how Mm -hmm. Chinese you seem today Mm -hmm. 
that is so stressful. Just like your whole life, just having to think of how much you pass on any given day makes me both horrified <laughs> and really, really angry. <laughs> I think that it, it can be stressful, but also we're very aware of how that's a privilege for us, mm-hmm. that we can pass as almost anything. We can, because we're ambiguous mm-hmm. looking, people will just assume whatever they want to yeah. assume about us. We get Mexican a lot because we're in Southern California. Mm-hmm. While we were traveling, we fit in in Russia just fine. We fit in in Spain just fine. Italy. Italy. Yeah. Because we just look, people can look at us and they can see what they want to see. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's fair. I mean, I used to say that as long as they were brown or yellow, people thought I was that. Mm-hmm. Because mm-hmm. I've had Vietnamese people come and try to talk to me in Vietnamese, depending on mm-hmm. how my hair was that day, if it's straight or curly. Yeah. I've had people come up to me so many times and speak Spanish. I had a Hawaiian lady ditch her kids with and leave them with me because she thought I was also Hawaiian, so I would be safe <laughs> oh, yeah. during Mardi Gras. People think we're Hawaiian as well. <laughs> oh, no. Mardi Gras. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's, you know, it can feel very isolating. Like nobody can see you for who yeah. you are, you know, but at the same time, it is a it is a privilege because it's safety. Mm-hmm. I always forget that it's element, safe for to us. be honest, because mm-hmm. yeah. for me, when you start mentioning or having that conversation, my first reaction is that emotion of not belonging. So I get upset. Mm-hmm. And then then later, when you think about it, I can see the privilege that we aren't always walking through the world as a certain thing. So people don't always have certain expectations. It's a strange position to yeah. be put in when you're part white. Mm-hmm. Yes, it, it's kind of situational. So when we talk on our podcast, we just we're anything we want all the time. <laughs> I really feel like I feel, feel like if you're mixed, you have the right to identify any way you want, whenever you want. You can change it based on circumstance. Like it, if that's how you feel like you fit in, that's fine. I was in New York and I was doing some events helping organize for like Black Lives Mm -hmm. Matter events. And in those situations, I'm white because I'm not in danger. Mm -hmm. So it just, it's really situational, I think. Okay, so you mean like, since you personally don't really identify or like putting labels on your identity, you switch between being Chinese or being mixed or being white. Yeah. Depending on your situation. For sure. Okay. Or how I can or like how that best serves the situation I'm in. So when I am doing things like that and I'm maybe a human shield against police, I'm white. Because yeah. that's my privilege. I can pass as white. So you're using privilege to help uplift others. For sure. But also it's not useful for me to identify as mixed or a person of color in that situation necessarily so it's more useful for me to be white i'll be white but if i'm hanging out with my all my white friends and they're doing some weird racist shit i'm (laughs) a person of color then yeah so for me it's like remaining ambiguous is a privilege that i recognize is a privilege as as much as it's it's isolating it's still a privilege I can understand that. But I will say, as someone who is a Black woman as well as Indigenous, I think that being Chinese in moments when you're dealing with the Black community is really, really important because I know I don't have to tell you how the Asian community at large (laughs) Mm -hmm. perceives Black people. So like, I know I would want Asian people, no matter if they're mixed or to identify as that and to be strongly in support of 
black people because historically and even now I've gotten weird treatment from people who are Asian, the older generation. So I think it's important to um, approach from that aspect as well when you're working with the black community. I think there's that is completely true. I think absolutely. Yes. What's also interesting, especially because I was in New York, is actually the history of Chinese people Mm -hmm. and black people working together because there is that history there as well. And and it kind of like skipped a generation, I think. You know, it was like the 60s where Chinese people and Black people work together in New York. Yeah, the Yellow Power Movement and the Black mm-hmm. Power Movement were very much so intertwined in some areas. Yeah. But then you have like the LA riots. In- <laughs> right. Listen, it's it's really, it's really regional. Like in New York, it was like, where no one would serve black people, Chinatown still served black people because Chinatown is not going to say no to anyone's money. Yeah. <laughs> but then that meant when the riots broke out, Chinatown was protected. Yeah. So there's kind of that weird dichotomy. And then it skipped a generation where everyone decided to be racist again. <laughs> <laughs> and now we're working on it. Well, we had this nice peaceful moment. I would like the chaos back, please. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. I think that that's also a relationship I think about a lot for sure. And I think age is a big part too, not just because skipping a generation, but there's another podcast that I'm talking to them. They're like 18, 19, and their experiences as Gen Z, mm. yeah, is so much more different yeah. than mm. my experience as a millennial and my older friends who are Gen X, because there were so few of us Yes, when we were growing up, especially me growing up in the South, there were so few yeah. mixed people. And so you had to like figure out how you were going to basically survive socially. Mm-hmm. I Did you go through stuff like that when you were younger? I, I can't imagine how since Brandy was 12. <laughs> it's just how we thought about it, I think. I think Brandy, when she was 12, realized she was Chinese in like a concrete way. Whereas before that... Like I hit a concrete wall, like I ran yes. into it. Yeah. <laughs> Until then, she was still like dealing with like racism and microaggressions and like weirdness. I just didn't put it together that that's what it, why it was right. happening. <laughs> like I didn't, yeah, I don't, I wasn't paying attention in that way. I mean, I guess if you see it normal, you might not question why people are treating you that way. Well, yeah. and also if we brought friends home, they'd come home to our white house. Uh, so they yeah. weren't coming into our Asian home. And and it was it did feel different. If ever we had a friend go over to our dad's side of the family and, and hang out, with the, it was rare that they would. But if they did, I was suddenly hyper aware of the way the house smelled, what we were having for yeah. dinner, the like rugs everywhere. You know, like the Chinese house rugs everywhere, yeah. <laughs> little doilies yeah. on the on the couches, everything like that. Something that I never saw or thought about with my like conscious yeah. mind, the second I brought my white friends home to there, I was suddenly hyper aware. But it was rare that they would go there. So we didn't really have to connect the yeah. two. It was two different worlds we lived in. Yeah, it felt like you were becoming a different person like on the weekends when you saw dad and then you were another person again during the week when you were with mom. Do you feel that way as adults at all? Has that lingered or do you think that's something that you've worked through or naturally fell into a place well, that's why I do identify as just a human. Well, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I really, I'm really not a fan of that. Like, I'm just a person. <laughs> well, I mean, you've heard the intro to the show. You're hu- I Everyone is human first yes. to yes. me. And then you, you expand out from yes. there how people identify and stuff like that. So I don't mean like total denial. Just <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. And right. it's, like, it's not like colorblind like I'm we're all just people here in the mixing pot 
But that is why I, I try to stop referring to myself in parts. But it, it still happens because our experience with our cultures mm-hmm. is extremely divided. It might have been different if we grew up in right. like a single household. Mm-hmm. Where we could see the cultures mixing, but we've never seen the cultures mix except for in ourselves. In our experience, it's always been separated. That is a very unique situation to be in, I think, that only maybe people who are had parents that divorced very early can go through. Mm-hmm. I don't want to say you miss out, but like you miss out on that chance to have a marriage of cultures or have that experience where you saw your parents navigate holidays or... Mm-hmm. Did you ever see your mom celebrate Chinese New Year or like how she would fit in that world? Um, I was five when my parents got divorced. So I have some kid memory of being in the home together. And I know that my mom learned mm. how to make some Cantonese food. My mom knows the words for dim sum things as well. She loves dim sum. We go with her all the time. Again, mm-hmm. everyone loves dim sum. Everyone loves, <laughs> everyone dim, loves dim sum. Dim sum is the great unifier. <laughs> Like, she's the one who taught us how to make fried rice, not our grandma, even though it was our grandma's recipe. Oh, wow. Yeah. So there's, I mean, it comes down to, and I know so many people talk about this, but it comes down to food. Mm-hmm. So much of culture is food, too, though. Yes. I mean, our mom made sure to learn the food that we would want as Chinese kids. Yeah. So that's, I think, the way that she did that. Besides that, there was really, there was really no mixing of any kind. Well, there is one pivotal, pivotal experience did she coin rub your back? No. Because <laughs> if she has the food and the culture, how far did she go? <laughs> she uh, buys soy sauce from Albertsons, you know what I mean? <laughs> okay, so that far. <laughs> That's kind of like the, the thing I talk about in my art. How do I see myself represented? Like, am I Albertsons brand soy sauce? Am I like the kid from Karate Kid who's white but really wants like a Chinese <laughs> man to tell him how to be Chinese? Am I like those characters that are kind of like racist caricatures or whites like putting on yellow face? I'm like, is that the one that's me? Oh. Because I'm white but also Chinese. And I think that that is like my my way of like desperately trying to find some sort of mixture, some sort of like central point. Like a concrete thing. Yeah, I think representation in media is like, who were the growing up? We had Kristen Crook. Yeah, she was mixed on Smallville. Yes. I watched it because of her. Keanu Reeves. Yes. I didn't actually know he was mixed until a few years ago. I have a painting called Keanu Reeves is my family. Oh. <laughs> I mean, actually, he's probably one of the most amazing humans I've ever heard of. So, yeah. In this house, we love Keanu Reeves. I accept this. <laughs> I mean, I can't think of any other mixed figures in the media that would have been edifying. Yeah, back then, I remember being so excited because um, I studied animation, big animation nerd. I remember being so excited when Big Hero 6 oh, came out yeah. because Hero is half Japanese mm-hmm. and half white. And I was like, I've never seen a half Asian character represented in animation before. And I feel like they did a really good job. But I remember being like so excited about that movie because the whole thing is like half Japanese, half San, like, Francisco, San Francisco, yeah. everything is that mixture and I was like this movie is everything and then they killed the older brother and I cried okay (laughs) but just (laughs) spoiler alert despite the death it I think they did a really really good job of like marrying the cultures Mm -hmm. together in a way that wasn't also like object 
not objectifying what's the exotic tokenizing tokenizing like yeah. if you're gonna put yeah. two ca- two cultures together i feel like there you run the risk of picking the most stereotypical things of each but that movie so smoothly blended the two cultures into this it normalized mm-hmm. the blending of those two cultures and i think that is yeah. really important and just how they looked and the way that they boiled it down in animation, because it's so difficult a lot of times when you're making a cartoon to both exaggerate but not mm-hmm. stereotype. And the way they did it was very tasteful. And they look like they're mixed. Yeah. And I remember seeing them and being like, oh, my God, this is like amazing. It's the first time I've ever seen this in like a big Disney film, maybe in any animated film. <laughs> And it brings me back to that generation thing, even between millennial and Gen Z, which is not that much of a difference, but it makes all the difference in the world because they were kids when that came out and we saw it Mm -hmm. as adults. Yeah. So we got affirmation as adults, but they grew up with it being almost normal. So it makes me curious about that span of even like, what, five years, how different everything is. Yeah. I remember having this really weird moment seeing that generational divide, remembering like how singular we were when we were growing up, because we were in this Chinese restaurant as adults. And I remember seeing a family like across the way that had a little girl sitting in the booth. And I had this weird brain fart moment when I thought I was looking at myself Oh, as like wow. a baby. I was like, oh my God, it's is that me? And then I realized it's because I've never seen anybody who looks like me. So when I saw this girl who I realized later was half white, half Chinese, all I could think was that's either me looking in a mirror or my sister. Wow. There's no one in this yes. world who looks like this. So my brain, the only thing it could think was that must be me, but as a child, <laughs> like yeah. I couldn't put it together. I had a similar experience. My friend texted me a picture of Sean Lennon John Lennon and Yoko Ono's child and I thought it was a picture of me as a baby that I had just somehow never seen before and I was like how did you get this picture of me as a baby and she was like I know right no that's Sean Lennon (laughs) (laughs) like it was just so rare for us to see anyone who looked like us and now it's like really exciting to see way more mixed kids like Gen Z is just they're just gonna be so much better Well, aside from their humor, which makes me fear for the future of humanity. No, they they understand things. They know the absurdist, like, existential dread, (laughs) and all you can do is laugh at the void. They get it. (laughs) It's so strange. My youngest sister straddles that generational divide. She sends me TikToks all the time, (laughs) tells me I need to get a TikTok. No, I am a year and a half away from 30. Leave me alone. (laughs) I don't want TikTok. (laughs) But I don't like to throw privilege around because I feel like privilege has such a a heavy connotation and a responsibility that comes along with it. So if I say that you have privilege, I feel like I'm also kind of assigning responsibility for a certain type of action or monitoring a certain type of behavior. So when I'm talking about kids, I don't know how much I want to say they are going to be more privileged. It looks like they're going to be more open. Mm -hmm. And especially since our country has taken like five steps backwards in the last three and a half years, I have a lot of hope. Yeah. Okay, I worked babysitting in New York for the last three years. And one of the first times I went to go pick up my kid at school, his name is Osher. I love him. <laughs> I picked him up from school and I was like, oh, what did you do today? He was like, oh, I had a, my first GSA meeting. And I was like, oh, the Gay Straight Alliance. I remember that. And he was like, no, the Gender Sexuality Alliance. Because more people the than what? just gay people and straight people want to be in it. And I was like, you are so evolved. 
You are the, <laughs> gets it. You get it. You are so you just taught me something. I had no idea. I never even thought of that before. And then he with his GSA, they got all the bathrooms in their school to be gender neutral. And the moms were freaking out about it. His mom was down. But then one mom was really coming for her a lot. And yeah. she was like, I need to figure out what Osher thinks about this. So she asked him, she was like, how do you feel when you use the bathroom? And he was like, I have to pee. <laughs> and then she was like, well, what if a girl walks in and you're in there? And he says, she has to pee. Oh, it never occurred to him. Such pure. It doesn't so occur to him. He doesn't so have it. He doesn't have those things that we like. He just literally it doesn't occur to him at all. I love that. I love it's that. fantastic. It's fantastic. I don't I feel like that is also super regional, though. That yeah. is not happening yeah. in Arkansas right now. I can tell you right now. Right. Uh, GSA still stands for Gay <laughs> <laughs> Well, New York yeah. is obviously like going to be more right. progressive. Well, the city, New York City is going to be more progressive. And then the other kid I babysit, he's half Chinese, half white. He goes to school and everyone, all his classmates are mixed. All of them. It's so cool. It's so cool. And um seeing he's only five so seeing the way he like navigates his own identity is really interesting and then the third kid i babysat he was like a teen he's like 13 he is also mixed half korean half white and i went to go house sit and while i was there i like came upon an essay he wrote for school for eighth grade and i read it and it was about his wow. identity and it was so poignant and it was everything i've ever felt but could not articulate about how he was trying to find a place where he fit in, where he wasn't sure like what was going to happen when he changed schools from public school to private school, if it was going to be more white and he wasn't going to fit in there. And I just couldn't believe like how he had the language to speak about this already. You know, mm -hmm. I think it's because we went through such interesting times. My friends are all having children. Mm -hmm. <laughs> my, my Facebook <laughs> is dangerous right now, but... Well, Ooh, yeah, people of our generation are raising their kids to be more conscious, more introspective as far as identity goes, because you see all of these people get up in arms about the little boy who does makeup and a few boys on YouTube doing makeup. And mm -hmm. these are just things that would not have happened five, ten years ago. And I think it's because people our age or a little older grew up in such an environment that they made sure their children were at least aware or sensitive to other cultures and identities. Yeah. Yeah. And I think New York is a really special place. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's the most like diverse city I've ever lived in. It's extremely open-minded there. It's very cool. But I seeing these kids and I know knowing that, yes, they are like New York kids. They're like Brooklyn kids. I don't know what that means. <laughs> It just means they're cool, man. I don't know. <laughs> they're cool. They know what's up. Like, they start taking the train by themselves at, like, 11. Oh, my gosh. Like, yeah, absolutely. These kids are, I just, they give me a lot of hope. Mm -hmm. They teach me a lot. They give me a lot of hope. Even if it's just, here's, like, three out of millions of kids in the U.S., I like knowing that they have such, like, a different perspective that I've never considered because I always had to figure it out or struggle with it or be confused or feel left out and alone we all had to figure it out alone and alone isolation they don't have the same yeah. framework they don't even conceptualize it the same way it doesn't occur to them I love that I love seeing these three kids and like how they deal with it or not yeah and it's inspirational for me when Osher teaches me something new blows my mind every time <laughs> 
he asked me the other day, he's like, so do you identify as like a queen with a Q or a queen with a K? <laughs> oh, my and I was like, God. I don't know. He was like, personally, I'm like a queen with a Q because I love Queen B and I'm kind of like a queen of hearts. Wait, I, don't, I don't know how that has anything to do with a K. I don't. It I doesn't don't know. matter. It doesn't I don't matter. know. It doesn't matter. This is how his brain works. I'm telling you, this is the different context he lives in. That is so interesting. <laughs> He's on another plane, and it's a better plane. <laughs> well, I will be looking forward to his future TED talks, so he can mm-hmm. educate all of us that had to try to figure things out on our own. <laughs> Listen, you know this kid is in kids' comedy club, okay? <laughs> He's I a know. little stand-up comedian already. Well, I will look forward to his Netflix special. Maybe someone will pick <laughs> him up. But that makes me curious, this mindset of identity and how you react to it. Do you think that the way you saw your race, like how nuanced it was for you, do you think that informed the way you see yourself in all aspects? Or is it just kind of coincidental? Oh, no, I think it, it's everything. Because, you know, I don't know. I was it was always brought to my attention by someone, even if it wasn't me thinking about it. So I think the way that I think about my identity defines how I think about everything. Hmm. It was the start of my whole philosophy. Like, if somebody tells me something about themselves, I'm going to believe them. That's it. Because they should know. They're them. I'm yeah. not them. But also because anytime I told anybody I was something, more than likely they'd try to fight yeah. me. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be oh, like, I don't see it in you. Yeah. But it's a good look. But it's a good look. You wear it well. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I think, yeah, it it helps you just, like, take the world with more sensitivity and to not make the assumptions, try not to make the assumptions that everybody's always making about you. Like, leave it to them to tell you or let the world reveal itself to you rather than trying to, like, piece it out and figure it out. You know, it's hard. Like, it's hard not to try to, like, understand everything immediately, but it's better to not. And as humans, we uh, it's natural just to want to understand how something works without nuance. Our brain, mm-hmm. our lizard brain, is like yeah. danger or no danger. <laughs> uh, exactly. Is it like me or will it eat me? Like <laughs> yes. And as a mixed person, we're in this weird mixture. This in between. Yeah. Can't fit with either one. Not yeah. a danger, but Absolutely. might lick you. <laughs> might lick you might unclear. lick you unclear fight flight like me but also can tan <laughs> why is this my favorite line yeah. of conversation <laughs> <laughs> but that's what i mean like that's how we navigate everything we think about everything is multiple-sided yeah. mm-hmm. i think about like nothing in my mind is ever linear like for me it's like time is a single point moving outwards in every direction to infinity and i don't know anything about anything until someone tells me it i'm interested because brandy likes labels and you don't danny so yeah. mm-hmm. does that idea that there's always nuance there's never a solid answer bring you comfort danny or or stress you out brandy or is it just a fact <laughs> Uh, I think for me personally, I like labels for myself. I think it helps me figure out like how I feel about me. And if other people take on that label too, and we can build a community around that, I love that. But I'm never going to expect anybody else to feel the same way. Oh, for sure. But I mean, for you, is it comforting? Yeah. Is it comforting to have a label, like it not be this amorphous thing? Or does that amorphous kind of thing give you freedom to express yourself? Like, how does how do you approach that? 
for me, like the amorphous terrifies me. Like when I'm trying to figure out myself, I'm like, no, I can't with this blob. Like put it in a mold and then I can like feel from there. If if the label feels like, you know, out of date, I can change it yeah. however I want. But I really like the word for myself. Like it makes me feel like I am something. Because when I didn't have that word when I was younger, I felt like I was nothing or a weirdo or like an outlier yeah. or something that didn't exist and when i found the word i was like oh i i exist so for me it was very helpful meanwhile i'm fine not existing <laughs> so well when you first told me i think we were not recording but you said you were mm -hmm. other you always saw yourself as other that mm -hmm. triggered like an automatic emotional reaction for me because my first thought went to standardized tests and labeling mm -hmm. and i mm -hmm. always hated hated other because it felt like you were just throwaway yeah. like we talked about this yeah it's like oh uh, everyone else gets this classification if you don't fit in this classification you're just like shoved off to the side and we're not gonna see you for yeah. sure for me i felt like other was them seeing me i guess oh that's so strange i know we talked about this on twitter i think and this has kind of made it to how brandy and i are different in our just lives in general like brandy wants to build a house and live there with a like a suburban life she wants kind of like stable steady work she wants her friends and her routine her schedule hi the I'm... tourist over here is happy <laughs> hey me i'm like i live for the chaos i love city life busy confusing loud like this is what i kind of feel most safe in most free so for me the, the not identifying remaining ambiguous that makes me feel free i'm so grateful for both perspectives because yours, Danny, in particular is not one that I've heard <laughs> very often. I don't mean that in a way to set you apart. I just mean that most people I talk to have gone through a process of labeling. Mm -hmm. Yeah, They find it very comforting to accept some way or another, whether they say they're half and half, or they say they're hoppa, or like have a designated word for it. They have done this internal work to define themselves. Mm -hmm. And to not define yourself and live in that freedom is not something that I come across very often. <laughs> well, you know, you spend your whole life with people telling you what you are and simultaneously feeling like you don't fit in in any of the places mm -hmm. people tell you you belong or don't belong. It feels much more freeing to accept that you're none of those things or all of them. And it's fine. Yeah. Um, both it, at the same time. Both at the same time. Those both can exist. I really feel comfortable living between contradictions. I also think that like in terms of other people and what makes them feel the best for themselves, I would never argue with someone, you know? It's a very personal thing, labeling and identity. Mm -hmm. I think so. So for me, I my friends, the people that I have chosen, my chosen family, mm -hmm. they've never asked this of me. They're the people who've never asked me to come out in any way, sexually, gender-wise. I was joking with our mutual friend Kieve of Please Touch the Art Podcast because they have you say your pronouns. And I had a panic. I was like, I feel like this is a pop quiz I forgot to study for. <laughs> I, <laughs> I don't ever want to catch somebody off guard, but like I can see how that would be deer in the headlights. <laughs> I mean, and I didn't expect that reaction from myself either. Oh, I had really? no idea. But when they asked, I was like, oh my God, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, None of the other? above. Other. I check other. 
Yeah, that's what the box is for, right? <laughs> I, it's just the perspective you come from, I guess, or your experiences that kind of inform how you look at that. Because there's so many reasons why you would either find that comforting or aggressive. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. For me, I, I don't like that. Yeah, I like to say that I'm wholly Indigenous and wholly Black and wholly Irish, whether people acknowledge the white or not, which is why I don't usually use it, because it's not how people treat me in the world. Mm -hmm. I've only one time in my life been seen as white, and that was when I was blonde. <laughs> so well, I don't have hmm. the experience of walking through life as a white person, but I do have an experience of walking through as a light-skinned Black person. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I guess it's kind of chicken or egg which comes first, but I guess it's just a testament to how different our experiences can be and how important having different perspectives in this conversation is because we all have different circumstances and our personalities think of them in different ways too. Yeah. I think that the the same way that finding labels made Brandy feel safe and seen is how I felt realizing I didn't yeah. have to find labels. Mm -hmm. It's the same feeling ultimately. It's just the feeling of like, oh, I can just exist as me in this world and this is how I can define that for myself. And I think that's probably another reason why, like I said before we were recording, Brandy said that she felt drawn in particular to other mixed people because you have that camaraderie, that shared experience of othering, whether from yourself or from mm -hmm. others, that you can kind of relax or you know you're not going to get yeah. these questions or these expectations. Right. Usually. <laughs> Absolutely. I feel like... Usually when I have these conversations with people, there's this very clear and defined, we reach this point where bo we're both like, yes, we had this conversation, we arrived at this mutual conclusion, and I think that in this case, it's very fitting that we almost don't. <laughs> <laughs> that would be my wrench I'm throwing into this toolbox. Keep it in the ambiguous cloud. It's a fitting wrench because I think that not all things, especially identity, are nice and neat and can be put in these very clear and defined boxes. And that's something we need to have too. I need to be challenged in the way I approach things and it gives me a chance to to think about other approaches. And I know that other people appreciate that too. And I'm sure there are other people who might have felt that way and I haven't been speaking to that thought in them. Maybe, who knows? I mean, you could be a box, you could be in a box, you could be in several boxes, you could be the whole container store. Or you could be in the void. <laughs> swirling around in nothing and everything. I love the void. I like the void when I plan to go into the void. Are you sure you're not Gen Z? <laughs> I like organized <laughs> chaos. My Taurus. Yes, I'm very, very, very Taurus. <laughs> um, I like to schedule my chaos and that is when there is chaos and not outside of that time. <laughs> and that is why you were just organized. <laughs> that is why you were scheduling with Brandy and I stepped out of the email zone because I'm a fish floating down the river but that's why I really like your podcast Natalie thank you for having us on because I like hearing different people's perspectives on identity and themselves and I like hearing them talk about it I feel like I learned a lot well you've definitely opened up some things I want to think about I always love that coming away with something to think about because getting comfortable is when you stop learning yeah and thank you so much for like having us on your podcast i feel so honored no <laughs> you guys i like you we've been talking on twitter if you want to hear more natalie we're gonna have her on our podcast eventually as well probably in the next couple months we are art sistery which is like art history but with an s because get it we're sisters we're so funny i like it 
it's cute. It's funny. It's really funny. And we're at our sistery on literally everything. Twitter yeah. and Instagram. We have email at Gmail. For clarification, their email is not email at Gmail. Yep. <laughs> It's email me at gmailme.com, at gmail.com. And if uh, if you think that you want to talk about The Void, slide into our DMs. If you want to talk about your box, slide into our DMs. We love people sliding in. We talk about our history and we make jokes and um, we love, we love, we love everything. And honestly, they have, you guys have a really awesome podcast and I don't always know about art, but I like to feel art and that's very close to feeling alive. Thank you for being on the podcast. Honestly, I love that we got to have this conversation. All right, see ya.